You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Dear God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come to you and learn from your word. I pray that today you would speak to us, that you would open our minds, our hearts, um, to receive your word and to be challenged by it and also comforted by it and transformed by it. I pray that your Holy Spirit will um, transform us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about rest. And uh, so I named this message A Theology of Rest. And one of the things that I've uh, noticed is that as the world continues to become uh, more global and we see more technology in different places, it seems like we're just going faster and faster and faster in society. And unfortunately, that's not just in the society at large. It is also uh, in the church, right? And we, are, we live in, in probably the uh, country that is going the fastest of all. And uh, the American dream has driven uh, what we do and how we do things for a long time. And the idea that more is better is something that we have ingrained in us. And I'm not saying that it is absolutely wrong, but it is definitely something that uh, shapes who we are and how we do things. So this idea has been uh, exported to the, to the entire world, and, and in some sense it is, it is true. But in, in reality, it, it also has some uh, difficulties that come with thinking that more is better or having... Um, Larger things or more things is better for us as, as people. In the church, is, it's also happening. Uh, we tend to think that the bigger the church, the better the church. In fact, uh, this is unspoken, and we don't hear this anywhere. But one of the things that will make a pastor or an author uh, be invited to a large conference is basically the size of your church right? If our church for some reason uh, exploded and we had 10,000 people coming, uh, we would get invitations to go to the next conference just because of the size of our church. And we think large is better, that more things will bring us happiness. And the reality is that this pace of achieving and moving and being effective uh, is damaging us as well. As much as it is quote-unquote, blessing us in material ways, it is also bringing a lot of damage to our hearts and to our lives. And ambition is something that has damaged us and the people around us. We all know uh, parents who um, put their kids through difficulties because they have a specific ambition, or even parents who end up damaging their, their kids because of the ambition they have for their kids. Uh, and we can take this in so many different uh, ways, but what I want to get to uh, today is the fact that the Bible seems to be uh, countercultural to that. Uh, the Bible seems to be a book that 
slows things down. In fact, if we think about it, we have a God who had a plan to save the people he created, and he didn't do it immediately. He could have just created us all in heaven. But he had something to tell us. He had a story to give us. We are part of that story. And it has taken thousands of years to this, for this to develop. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having more or working hard or having ambitions. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with this. But the reality is that we are in a society and our minds are constantly thinking of how can I get more, how can I do more. And uh, as a church, I think that that is a temptation we have, especially, and, and we'll talk about this more later, as we went through the year that we went through, we started, we, we're starting to think how can we now move faster? How can we now uh, go to the next level? How can we now fill this place? How are we going to do all, this, all these things that a church is supposed to do? And that is great. We should be doing that. But what I want to call my attention to, our attention to is, how are we going to be doing this? Are we going to do this in rest, trusting God? Or are we going to be taking the ethos of our society and just go fast and go at it really quick? So, this sermon is for all of us individually as a church, for me as a pastor, as a dad, uh, as someone who's trying to buy a house and uh, like all these things happening to you and to me. Uh, I think we need to be reminded that God is calling us to rest. So I want to I wanna start by reading one of the most overlooked commandments in the Bible. And it's the fourth one. And it's on Exodus chapter 20 verses 8 through 11. And it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I want to note something, and, and this might be a little uh, controversial to some. In fact, I, I talked to the elders about this, and there was some con uh, controversy even amongst us. Um, whether this is a command that, that still stands today. But I want to make the case that it is. I believe that rest is a command. I believe that this was part of the Ten Commandments, and the Jewish people had over 600 commands that were given to them throughout uh, the Old Testament. And this one, resting, made it to the top ten. So if you think about it, resting is among not killing, not lying, not coveting, not worshiping other, other idols. In the same category is rest. It's take a day to rest. Now, I understand that some people believe that the Sabbath is not a command that remains until today. And I agree with that. So let me explain what I mean when I say rest is command. It's a command. Uh, 
there are three ways in which we can use the law, or what's called the three uses of the law. The first one, the way we can see the law, is uh, thinking of it as a pedagogical use, which means that God is giving us an example of who he is and who we are or what we ought to be. That is one way of seeing. So it's by showing us God's holiness, um, and we can learn from that. The second use of the law is a civil use. And what, what people or theologians believe is that God has given us the law as a way to restrain or limit sin, which means that these commands were given to us uh, for our flourishing, for human interaction, for our best, right? And the third use, which is the one that we typically think of, is uh, normative use. And that is the, the kind of uh, commandment that is referred to as a law. This is the way that we please God. This is what we are supposed to do to please God or, that God, or what God uses to fulfill, fulfill his promises. So if we, if we see the Ten Commandments from the normative perspective, some of them have been abolished in, in a way because Jesus has already fulfilled them for us. So for instance, I am not uh, a believer that we are supposed to keep the Sabbath as the Jewish people used to do it. I'm not an Adventist. There are Christians who believe that that is the case and it should be Saturday and we should uh, stop working at, at 6 p.m. on Friday and, and, and they do all the, all the same stuff. I'm not arguing for this. I don't believe that it needs to be a specific day. I think Paul is clear in Colossians 2 when he says that we should not judge each other based on uh, festivals or food or drink, or he actually mentions the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus actually said that the, the man was not uh, created for the Sabbath, but rather that the Sabbath was created for men. And what I am arguing here is that the principle of resting is still a command from God to us today. And I believe, it, I believe this is not optional. Not only from a, from a spiritual perspective, I think this is actually uh, proven scientifically. We need to rest, and it happens daily. We can only go for a certain amount of hours when our, when our body automatically starts telling you, all right, all right, it's time to stop. And every single day, we have to shut down, go to bed, so that we can continue living. So... I believe that rest is a command, not from a normative perspective, not from a, if you don't rest, you're sinning. Maybe in a way you're not taking care of your body, but it's not a ritualistic, ceremonial, uh, spiritual way that if you don't fulfill the Sabbath, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God is commanding us to rest. And if you notice, the reason why God gave us this command is because he did it. It's as a model. So if we take the second approach, which is that this is a, a, a command that God gave us in a pedagogical way, we can see that God modeled this for us. If you notice, actually, the command actually ends saying that we should do it. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, and we are supposed to do the exact same thing he did. And this is a model that God gave us to follow in a way. But it's not just a model that God gave us in the Old Testament. If you notice, Jesus did the same thing. 
before that, let me read to you the account of Genesis 2 when God initially rested. So Genesis 2 verses 1 to 3 actually says, Thus the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested. God did not rest because he was tired. He is still working today. He did not rest because he needed to rest or, or catch his breath or anything. He rested to give us a model so that we can also function. He made the day holy. He separated a, ta- a time to rest. This is a beautiful gift that God has given to us as his children in order for us to model after him. Jesus did the same thing. If you read, if you read uh, uh, the, the Gospels, you can see that the Gospel authors constantly mention things like, after he had dismissed the crowds, what did Jesus do? He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. He withdrew from there, from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. He departed and went into a desolate place. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is a constant thing that Jesus did. This, is, this was not the exception. Jesus was not a workaholic. Instead, he took 30 years to start his ministry, and the first thing he did was go on a trip by himself in the desert for 40 days. Jesus modeled for us as well that we need rest. And I believe that in a society that doesn't stop, where the city that never sleeps is like a really cool thing to say, we need to be different. We need to be like Jesus. He was in no rush. God was in no rush. We are in a constant rush. And we must learn from our Father, from our Savior, that we need to slow down and rest. That is if we take the command from a pedagogical point of view. But if we take it maybe from a civil kind of point of view, I would argue that rest is not only a command, it's also stewardship. God gave us this gift for our flourishing. If we, if we look at all the commandments, most of them, instead all of them, are, are, are framed in a negative way. Do not or thou shalt not. This is the only one that actually tells you what to do and not what not to do. Six days you shall labor, labor and do your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. And this is important because this shows us that God is inviting us to do something that is positive for us, that will eventually Bless us. These are the words of our Father caring for us. And most of you have uh, young children, but it, uh, some of you might remember, the ones who have older kids, how difficult it is sometimes for you to convince your kids to do things that will bless them. Right now, 
I have to fight with my 11-year-old son to take a shower. He doesn't think he needs to take a shower. He thinks it's absolutely fine for him to go without taking a shower. He doesn't understand that his body's changing and his smells are getting disgusting. And I have to tell him, look, you need to take a shower. And he doesn't want to. Well, in a similar way, this is God telling all of us, Look, I know you can do, you, you think you can do this on your own and that you, I know you think you can just go at it and find your way around it and that you're strong enough, but no, rest. It's the exact same thing. God is inviting us to rest, to be, to take care of us. He's inviting us to be careful with our bodies, with who we are. And this is another thing. If you notice, the command also implies work. God is not just saying, just chill. That is not what the Bible necessarily says. This command implies working. He actually says, verse 9 on Exodus chapter 20, six days you shall labor and do all your work. So God, God wants us to work. But once you work, he says, but take a day to rest. And then if you notice, it doesn't only include you. It actually commands us to make sure that everyone around us also gets this privilege and this blessing. And he says, your son, your family, your daughter, your servants, your livestock. This is, this is important. God is commanding us to even take care of the things that we use or, or, or the animals we have around us. And then he says, the sojourner who is within your gates. So this command of resting is not just for me to be benefit. It's, it's for everyone to, benef- to benefit from. This is stewardship. We need to take care of ourselves and from the people around us. If you are a boss, your employees. If you're a mom or a dad, your, your children. They also need to learn to rest. Why? Because we do not own ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And Paul says that clearly you are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The CDC says that not sleeping could eventually end up having the same symptoms of being drunk. Not resting could lead you to bad decisions, could lead you to sin, could lead you to so many different things. And I believe that God is commanding us to rest because he wants us to steward our bodies and what we have well. Another point I want to highlight is that rest is not only a command and it's not only a good, stewardship, a good stewardship of ourselves and the people around us. And this is where I want to land a little longer. I believe that rest is trust in God. In fact, the literal meaning of the word Sabbath is to cease, to rest, to stop, to be absent. That is the meaning of the word Sabbath. 
And for us, this is hard. Stopping, being absent, ceasing, resting sometimes is hard because we believe that we are in control of things. If you remember, the Israelites left uh, Egypt and God told them to go and they went to the desert. And they wandered for 40 years and God was feeding them. They, he gave them water, he gave them all kinds of things. But they had to stop and trust in God during that whole time. If we read the Exodus account in chapter 16, we will see that God provided for them, but even in, their, in his provision, he required them to stop as well. And this is important for us today. God made manna fall from the heavens, but they were not allowed to keep it. They were not allowed to gather it. They had to wait, stop, and trust God that that was going to happen again and again and again. And what happened is that some people didn't, didn't want to wait, so they started storing it, and it rotten, and worms uh, came out of that. But God was very clear about resting. Let me read the story real quick for you. This is Exodus 16, verses 22 to 30. It says, On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread to omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. This is on the Sabbath when they waited, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath day to the Lord. And today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you the bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. They not only needed to wait every day for the next portion, they needed to also trust God for the day they were going to rest, which was the seventh day. And I believe that this is something we are supposed to do as well. We are supposed to trust God day by day. We are to trust God that he will provide day by day. So, in a way, there is a mentality that we have as people that tells us, all right, it's been long enough for God to provide for you. It's now your turn to provide for yourself. All right, you, you, you're, you're an old enough Christian. You don't need to rely on God anymore. Now you can do it on your own. You should already know the Bible to the point that you sort of graduated from God's help. Now you do it on your own. But the reality is that as, as believers, no matter what we do, we never, ever graduate from needing God's help every single day. 
It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for two days or if you've been a Christian for 20 years. We need God's help every single day, and we need to trust God every single day. And in fact, all those 20 years should help us understand that God is going to do it again, and he will do it again. We need to learn from our past experiences that God is good, that he will provide. And I want to invite us all as we move forward as a church to trust God again. I know when we left, everybody said what's going to happen. And God came through. And then we were going to have, we had a crisis, and she didn't know what he was going to do, and God came and helped us again. And we didn't have elders, and we were going to get the elders, and Clint died, and we were going to like, what's going to happen now? And God came through again. And I believe that as a church, we're never going to graduate from this. Because now everything is sort of starting to settle, and Daniel is leaving. And now we're like, what is going to happen again? And the reality is that even though we might grow and might get more people and our, everything just settles, it, this is going to happen again. There's going to be somebody that's going to cause a problem. There's going to be someone who's going to die. There's going to be a crisis. We don't know what's going on. We don't know what's going to happen around the corner. And every single day, we're going to have to trust that God is going to provide for all of us year after year. Our lives, our church is a miracle. It doesn't matter if we have thousands of people or not. We live by faith. We don't live like the world lives. It doesn't matter who the pastor is. It doesn't matter who comes. It doesn't matter if we have the technology. We always need God. We need him. And we need to rest in him. He is our bread. He is our living water. He is the only one we need. If we look back, all we need is Jesus. If we look back, yes, we need pastors and we need each other and we need fellowship, but at the end of that, we need Jesus. He is our manna. He is our rest. He is all we need. My wife, my kids, my pastors, my friends, my community will fail me. There's only one person that is eternal, that will never fail, that has the capacity to help me every single day. There is only one person that I can call every single day, 20 times a day, who will hear me and pay attention to me and comfort me, and that is God. Jesus himself will be there for us. We can trust God. He is our only option. And we need to learn as we move forward in our lives as well to not trust ourselves. We can't trust anything. You can't trust your job. You can't trust your family. You can't trust your health. You can't trust anything. There is, everything is shaking ground. We can die. I can die. You can lose your job. Your boss can commit fr fraud. It, we have no idea what's going to happen, and we place our faith on things that will fail in a second. 
because we have this idea that we are going to make it happen somehow. We believe we're smart enough, we're strong enough, we are capable enough, and we are not. And thinking that we can is resting from our ability to trust in God. The reason why sometimes we struggle to trust God is because we trust too much on other things. And as believers, that is a sin. We cannot trust in anything else. We constantly choose to trust all kinds of other things instead of God. And that leads us to, to separation from God. Every time we put our trust in something else, anxiety begins to creep in because we know that things can change in a second. There is a French uh, sociologist, and his name is Alexis de Tocqueville, and he wrote a book, uh, Democracy in America, and he says, and this is really intriguing, there is a strange melancholy, melancholy? Please use accents. Um, <laughs> there is a strange melancholy often haunting inhabitants of dem democracies in the midst of abundance. He says, it, it perpetually retires from being from before them, yet without hiding itself from their sight, and in retiring draws them on. He's talking about prosperity. At every moment they think they are about to grasp it, it escapes at every moment from their hold. They are near enough to see its charms, but too far off to enjoy them. And before they, they have fully tasted its delights, they die. And he actually concludes, the incomplete joys of, of this world will never satisfy the human heart. This is not a believer. This is a sociologist. And he saw it in his country and in America. And this is so interesting because it does not matter how much we have. We just can't seem to be okay. We live in a time where the technology has helped us save a lot of time. We don't have to travel for months or weeks. We can fly. We can video call someone around the world the same day instead of sending a letter and waiting for the response. We can shop for cars from our living room today. So we should have plenty of time. We should be the, 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 the generation that has all kinds of time, right? No, it's the opposite. How? Our society that only needs this to do almost everything has no time whatsoever and it's the most anxious and depressed society ever. Why? Because we think that we have the control. Control is the issue. It's not time. The issue is control. We think we control things. We, we don't. In fact... The people who don't control anything, if you go to, the, to, to far into, into rural areas, I believe people live slower lives. People with less things have more time. 
because we just keep adding and adding and I want more and more is better. And we need to be careful ourselves with our lives and ask a church. Because we all think like, yeah, we should, we should grow. And I, we, I think we should grow. And I'm not arguing that we should stay like this. No. But are we really wishing thousands of people? Do you know what that means? It's more kids. <laughs> it's more chairs. You're going to have to serve more. There's going to be a lot more. More includes more in all kinds of ways. Yeah, more money, but also more problems. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm saying how, what is our motivation behind it? Are we trying to control everything? Are we trying to rush into it? Am I trying to make it? Am I trying to be the whatever? Or are we trusting in God to do what he wants us to do? Are we taking steps to glorify God, to be faithful to God? Are we okay with what God is doing within us, with us, in us? We have a message that brings rest to all of us. The message of the gospel is the message of rest. It's the message that we will never achieve everything on our own. We don't have to. We have a Savior who did it for us, especially when it comes to rest. We have a message that says you don't have to be the best person to enter eternity. You don't have to, to, to have everything figured out so that I can bless you. You don't have to be the best parent so I can take care of your child or, or, or your daughter. You don't, have to be, you don't have to prove yourself. You can come to me. The best rest, our full satisfaction is in Jesus, and he gives it to us free of charge without us trying really hard. We cannot work our way into eternal rest or even heavenly rest. Only Jesus gives us rest. In fact, Jesus said when he was on earth, come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you what? This is something he he said when he was on earth. This is not just a promise for the future. This is Jesus talking to us. Come to me, all who labor or are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus died on the cross for us to rest in him. And I was, we were talking with the elders and, 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 and uh, we decided to, to talk about this because we are starting to notice this angst to like, all right, let's move on. All right, like what's next? And we want to make sure that before we all burn ourselves down, we think and we stop and we ask God, how can we better do this? And I understand that rest looks different for all of us. Some of you might rest running. I do not understand that. I don't even know how that is. Some of us find rest by doing work, uh, woodwork. Some of us, uh, that's, uh, I think that's Andrew's thing. 
Some of us rest by fishing. There you go. And I know that rest looks different for, from all of us, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we should all rest in the same way, but we should all find ways to rest. And I want to challenge us, first as a church, that our posture should be one of trusting God and taking it slow and questioning why we do things. Not just so that we can accomplish, but to be faithful, to really seek Jesus together. So maybe the first thing we need to be anxious about or ambitious about should probably be maybe praying together. And this is something we're going to continue to talk as a church. But I want, I want all of us to set a pace of like, all right, let's, let's rest. Let's work together in rest in Jesus, trusting him. And as a person, if you are going through a difficult time, if you are struggling right now, well, you need to rest. And that might mean ceasing to maybe thinking about that. Maybe you just need to stop Googling how to solve your issues for a minute. Maybe we should stop just trying so hard and maybe go to God. Could be school, could be your work, could be your family, could be so many things. The resting in God might mean praying. Resting in God might mean that you take a couple of days or a day off for yourself and really dive on the word. Maybe you should cease from talking about your issues for a minute. What I want, I want all of us to do is to remember that we have a God that's on our side. He loves us. He gave his life for us. He loves you. That issue that you have, that I have, he knows about it. He sees it. He already saw the future. He knows how he's going to solve it. It might not be how we want it, but he's already seen the solution of your problem or the issue that you keep thinking about. And we need to trust him. He, he's got your back. He loves you. He loves us, and we need to trust in Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Let's pray and ask God to help us rest. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to earth and dying on the cross. Thank you because you trusted the Father fully. Thank you because you trusted the words of the Father fully. And you died in our place. You took our anxieties and our issues and you nailed them to the cross. You paid for our sins. And now, you have given us eternal rest for free. We don't deserve this. 
We're not worthy of it. But you have chosen to give us rest, eternal rest, if we come to you, if we believe in you, if we put our trust in you. And I pray that today, as individuals and as a church, we would come to you first and trust that we need to rest. Lord, help us relinquish our control. Help us give up our control and our desire to do our own thing. Help us go to you, pray to you, spend time with you, and follow your lead of taking a day of rest, of uh, moving or going somewhere else to pray and rest in solitude with you. We pray that this would be a posture we have as a people, as a church, that we would be people who trust you, who love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.